Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 31 And welcome to episode five of the Locked On Hawks podcast. My name is Brad Roll, and I'm the host of this uh, daily audio show. And on today's podcast, we have a special guest. Uh, he is actually my boss in life, uh, Chris Willis of Peachtree Hoops. Uh, the, he is the manager of Peachtree Hoops and someone who uh, signs my checks, so to speak. What's going on, Chris? Hey, Brad. How you doing? I don't. Uh, I use that boss term loosely because uh, we both know that's not true. <laughs> it's absolutely true in uh, in practice, sir. And uh, Chris has obviously been covering the Hawks for a long, long time. Uh, you know, this this will, will be pretty nonchalant today. Me and Chris get along quite well, uh, but wanted you guys to know his credentials are off the top of the bat as the uh, as sort of the head honcho at Peachtree Hoops. Chris has been around for a long time. When did you start covering the team, Chris? Oh wow! It was uh, about six years ago, I believe. Uh, it's been a while now. Um, you know, I was—I uh, believe it was Larry Drew's uh, first year or the year before that. Ah, uh, the actually. great Larry Drew. Yeah, it, actually, it was—it was Woodson's last year. That's when I started, about halfway through the season. So, yeah, it's been a long time. A lot of seen a lot of things happen. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's def- never a dull moment in Hawksland, even if the national media doesn't necessarily agree with that. Uh, I think it's often quite interesting what we deal with here. And uh, we, before we actually get going deep in here, I have to ask you, as one of the few people that liked this offseason even less than I did, uh, we should probably start with Dwight Howard and uh, got, got to get your, got, get your thoughts on the Dwight Howard move. I know people that have read our stuff probably know uh, how you feel, how I feel about it, but what do you, what's your overall take on Howard and really the whole path of this offseason? Oh well, it, it it it's an interesting, um, you know, it's it's going to be different. That's for sure. And I think that's one of the goals they kind of went into the off season. I think they wanted to some change. I think there was a, they felt like that the the group might have, uh, you know, reached its ceiling, so to speak, a little bit. Uh, you know, I think the jury's still out on the Dwight Howard thing. It was not, uh, you know, it didn't rank, wasn't high up my list of. Uh, of wishes for this off season, but uh, you know there is some intriguing things. I, you know, I've got to admit, you know, the the guy's saying all the right things now. You know, I hope we, you and I, are on this podcast in January, and we and we're saying, oh wow, you know, he proved us wrong. But um, you know, I think there's still a lot of question marks. Uh, but you know, uh, Dwight Howard can play. I mean, there's no doubt about that. He's still a, a top center in this league. Uh, you know, I just think it's a strange, uh, a bit of a strange fit for Atlanta. It's going to be interesting to see how Bud uh, adapts uh, the offense and the defense kind of to incorporate him. 
Yeah, you mentioned Budenholzer. I think that's pretty key to th- everything with Dwight and how he gets integrated. I talked uh, earlier this week with the Locked on Rockets podcast, kind of went in-depth on Dwight. And one of the big things we talked about on that podcast was kind of the fact that the organizational culture is going to be very big with Dwight and how he fits in in Atlanta. And one of the things that was a concern for him in Houston was his play, especially last season, under a, a very young, uh, inexperienced coach in, J- in J.B. Bickerstaff. Um, I know, um, you know, on that podcast, we talked a little bit about how Budenholzer could be a steadying force for Howard. I think that's kind of uh, one of the advantages the Hawks have is that they have a, a guy, there's no question who runs that locker room right now. Uh, Budenholzer is the coach of the year, uh, obviously also is the head of, head of player personnel. So those, those two guys obviously had to have a big conversation before Howard ever agreed to come on. And that gives the Hawks a bit of a leg up there, I think, uh, in terms of uh, keeping Dwight under control, in terms of what, what he wants offensively, especially uh, wanting post touches, that kind of stuff. So it'll be interesting to see how those, those two guys fit together. But I think that does give the Hawks a leg up. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I mean, Bud's clearly going to be um, – well, I mean, you know, probably since Stan Van Gundy, you know, I mean, I, uh, Bud's probably probably more established as a coach – just because he's the president of basketball operations also, there's probably more of a, a cohesive structure there uh, than there has been uh, just about at any other stop uh, for Dwight. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely agree with you 100% there. I think, uh, you know, I think Bud's the key to making this work. Um, you know, and I mean, he's, uh, he's uh, I think that's, uh, that's probably the most uh, biggest thing to focus on as the season gets here. Absolutely, and we'll have plenty of time to talk about Dwight Howard. I want to just make this the Locked on Dwight Howard podcast, so we'll get off of that quickly and talk about a player and a contract that we haven't discussed here on the podcast. I know we've written a lot of words about it, but uh, Kent Bazemore. Uh, Bazemore obviously recently signed a four-year, $70 million contract that if you told me Kent Bazemore was going to sign for $17.5 million a year uh, two years ago, I would have called you an absolute crazy person. Um, but I guess the, the, the best way to start on this thing, Chris, is to I'm going to ask you whether he's overpaid, underpaid, or properly paid uh, given his contract. Uh, you know, it's pretty lucrative, but uh, you can talk about that both this, both this year and with the uh, possibility of, of age as well, considering that he's already 27 years old. Okay, uh, well, I mean, just where to start. Uh, um, I mean, honestly, it, it feels like it's an overpay, uh, but in this climate, uh, with this uh, ridiculous uh, cap increase this summer, uh, you know, it's probably market value. In fact, he took a little less money to stay in Atlanta. Um, you know, I think it, I thought it was interesting that the Hawks uh, kind of made him a priority uh, from day, early early in the process. I think it was Wes Wilcox that said that at the draft. Told you guys that at the draft, and uh, you know, it was a little bit surprising because I kind of I kind of thought Bays had probably outperformed his ability to stay in Atlanta uh, finance, from a financial standpoint. So it was kind of they made him a higher up a high priority going into this offseason. season. Um, you know, you and I have had some background discussions, you know, I, I have a little bit of concern, you know, I worry about, you know, his three point shooting really dropped off in the second half and in the playoffs. Um, you know, I, I wonder, you know, if last season might've been an outlier a, a little bit for him, you know, I'll be interested to see how he can, uh, how he follows that up. Yeah. That's how, that's my, that's my concern as well is that we could have seen the best of Kent Bazemore. In 2015-2016, given his age, given the way that he shot the ball, as you mentioned, um, I think that is the real concern here. I don't think that Bazemore's suddenly going to be a bad player by any means. Uh, the four years scares me a little bit, considering, as I mentioned before, he's 27 already, which means he'll be wrapping things up you know, at 30 years old. And while 30 is not exactly ancient, 
I'm talking about a guy who really does rely on his athleticism on the wing, especially defensively, where he's not the biggest guy in the world. You know, Kent's about 6'5", and he often has drawn the, uh, the matchup defensively of guys who are much bigger and stronger than he is. So he's been able to get by that a lot of the times with his athleticism. But as, as that kind of wanes, as you would expect it to, given his age, uh, he's going to have to shoot as well or better as he, that he did last year. I, I know the Hawks are pretty confident in uh, Bazemore shooting and the way that they've kind of rebuilt his jump shot since he arrived on the scene. And as you mentioned, like they, he, was, he was a priority. I kind of uh, chuckled and almost laughed it off when uh, Wes Wilcox said uh, in plain terms that um, Bazemore was a priority this offseason at the draft. But you know, as you, we kind of saw it, right, as soon as free agency opened, it wasn't immediate. But Bazemore was clearly in this team's plans throughout. Um, that was kind of the one thing that was, that was assured through the process. Um, even, even before Dwight Howard, it was going to be Bazemore coming back. And as the front court kind of shifted, Bazemore was the, the staple guy on the wing. So the Hawks are clearly investing heavily uh, in Kent Bazemore as he's now the number one wing. I mean, there's no, there's no question about it. He's the highest paid wing on the team. He's uh, unquestionably going to be a starting wing on this team for this year and probably moving forward. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if he can replicate what he did last year. I don't, I don't expect him to make a, make a leap to sort of justify that contract. That's one of the things that I've heard a lot, especially around Atlanta, you know, sports radio and that kind of stuff, is that Bazemore has to now suddenly get better in order to quote-unquote justify that contract. Uh, I think the contract has much more of a product of the cap spike than anything else, and it's kind of the market rate. I mean, we saw guys who I think that Bazemore is com- you know, compa- compatible with, like Alan Crabb got more money than Bazemore did. Uh, Evan Turner got more money than Bazemore did on the, on, on the open market. And I think, if anything, Bazemore's probably better than those guys right now. So it's one of those things where he, he's, he's earned the deal, uh, and for better or worse, and he's not going to make $17 million, you know, $17 million a year. And uh, I'm not sure that means he's going to be a better player than he was last year, but hopefully he'll be able to at least replicate what he, did, what he, what he was able to do in 2015-2016. Uh, elsewhere, uh, behind Kent Bazemore, I think is where I think we can talk about a couple of these guys. Uh, I, have, I have a big picture question though. Um, who leads this trio that I'm about to mention in minutes played for the season? Uh, the trio is Tim Hardaway Jr., DeAndre Bembry, and Torian Prince. What's your best guess? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, I know that's going to make you cringe a little bit. That's not the uh, fun answer. I know that. It's not the fun <laughs> answer. Uh, but I think Torian Prince will be close. I, I really do. Uh, I think uh, I think Hardaway is a fascinating uh, storyline on this team. I mean, you know, we saw we saw Demari Carroll take a leap in his second year, although it wasn't a very big leap because he was really good his first year. We saw Kent Bazemore take a huge step forward. Uh, this past season, you know, it'll be interesting to see if Hardaway can do that. I mean, he should not, um, he should not enter, enter this, uh, preseason, you know, that far behind anybody, you know, that was the, that was kind of the talk, uh, last year that, uh, you know, he just wasn't up to speed. Uh, he might've been slowed by an injury early. Uh, but you know, he was just pretty much out of the rotation and out of, out of sight, out of mind up until uh, about January, uh, you know, when he finally started to play pretty well when he got an opportunity. But, uh, you know, I think I did a, I did a look at the draft, uh, write up the other day on the, um, depth chart as it is now. And I, I stuck it in there. I'm like, Tim Hardaway Jr. can't afford a uh, slow start this time around. Uh, not with not with guys like Bembry and Prince on the roster. I don't think. I think if he does, then you know he's he's going to be really missing an opportunity here to uh, uh, try to nail down a spot. 
Yeah, I'm with you all the way. You, when you, you kind of alluded to it. I am not the biggest Hardaway fan, and I'm sure at some point in this offseason, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do a deep dive into Hardaway Jr. Uh, just as himself. I could probably do a whole podcast just on him. Um, but you, you're absolutely right about the fact that he, he can't start off as slow as he did last year. I think Mike Budenholzer and, and company were pretty shocked with what they saw um, early on. They wouldn't admit to that publicly, but as you mentioned, he was uh, you know, inactive a lot of the time. Uh, they, they, you know, you, you, you definitely don't want to see a guy uh, inactive that you trade a first round pick for, as especially when you know the rationale behind that kind of trade was that Hardaway was a young veteran who they thought could play right away, uh, and suddenly he, you know, disappeared for the first three months of the season. Uh, you know, I think the Hawks came around on him a lot in the second half of the year to the point where he was playing real minutes, uh, even some even some postseason minutes, and was you know sort of a fringe member of the rotation off and on. You know, Hardaway, the best thing about him in my mind is that he's only 24 years old. So you think there might be a little bit more growth to come with Hardaway. Um, he only he only shot 34% from three last year, which was, I think, pretty disappointing for the Hawks, given that he shot 36% as a rookie and 34% in his second year with, with the Knicks, probably on a worse variety of shots. So I think if, if he can simply, you know, uptick that a little bit into that mid to high 30s from three-point range, that will help considerably. Um, the worry for me is always with Hardaway Jr.'s defense. And I think that that's that's the spot where if one of the rookies were to were to pass him in the rotation, that's probably where where it's going to have to be. Because uh, Hardaway's, you know, he's as good of an athlete as Ben Bree and Prince are, um, and you know, more, obviously more established. He's been in the system longer, and really, he's the best shooter of the three at this moment in time. So, with that, with all that said, I, th- I think you're right. You know, with a gun in my head, I would say that Hardaway plays the most minutes. But I, uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie and tell you that I might not, might not, might not be rooting against that prediction. Uh, I'm higher both on Prince and Bembry than Hardaway in the long term for sure. And you know, my, maybe by, by the end of this season, uh, he could be supplanted by one or both guys. But a lot of that could be. Uh, mitigated if Hardaway takes the leap forward than some expect him to, including the Hawks, because you know they had to see something in it that they liked in order to trade that first round pick, uh, for better or worse. I hated that trade when it happened. I still hate that trade, but um, the Hawks saw something at Hardaway Jr. and uh, hopefully for their sake, it's going to bear out more this season. Um, do you think that's going to be something that uh, to monitor moving forward? I, I know there's been some sort of questions. I know I'm, I've seen them. I know, I know you've seen them on Twitter about. The wing, the wing rotation in general, uh, with, you know, potentially that Kyle Korver could come off the bench, uh, maybe Hardaway gets elevated. Uh, questions about Tabo Cephalosha. Uh, is there, is there, is it more likely to you that Hardaway falls out of the rotation altogether, or that he makes sort of a jump in the rotation? Uh, well, I mean, I think, uh, I think if he's making a jump, then he's probably, uh, you know. Um uh, he's not falling out of the rotation because, I mean, that's where he was at last year. He was on the fringe the whole time. Uh, you know, the interesting thing about this whole roster makeup is, uh, you know, and you and I have talked about this uh, too, is, uh, you know, the Hawks need shooting. Uh, the Hawks really needed shooting last year, you know, and that's why I look at that. Of that of those three guys, it's just like you just said, uh, Hardaway's probably the best shooter of the three. Uh, you know, now he that may not be the case down the road, but uh, you know, as of today, if they had to play a game tomorrow, I would I would put Tim Tim ahead of uh, those other two guys. So, you know, I think I think a jump's possible. Um, you know, I'm not as down on him as you are. Uh, obviously, though, you've watched him a lot a good bit more than I did uh, in college. Uh, you know, as a Wolverine fan. So, uh, but uh, you know, I thought his defense was pretty good. I, I think I might have been in the minority. I always I felt like he was just completely lost on the offensive end early on um, last year. But you know, again, it's it's a it was a different situation for him. Uh, he's had a full off season prepared, so you know we'll have to see how he looks in the preseason. Because I mean, he's not going to have that crutch this time. He's coming in, you know, with a year's a year under his belt, so and he's going to have to perform early on. 
Yeah, I will say that his his defense was was impressive to me only because I had the you know the high the high uh, skepticism in, in terms of that. Hardaway did give effort defensively. Uh, that's something that uh, was a change from his time with the Knicks. So that, that's a step in the right direction. I'm not I'm not sure he's ever going to be more than a, a passable defender. But if he is a passable defender, there's enough talent on the offensive side of the court where he could become playable. But you're right. I mean, the shooting's got to be there for Hardaway Jr. The stroke looks good. He's a good athlete, as I mentioned before. But uh, the production level wasn't quite there last year to justify as many minutes as he actually ended up getting. Um, so it, it would be good to see him you know, make some shots early um, as the best shooter of those three guys. And really, you know, he might be as good of a shooter as Kent Bazemore uh, in the grand scheme of things. I know Bazemore was significantly better last year, but Bazemore's coming off uh, obviously the best season of his career. And we talked about a little bit earlier that he regressed considerably in the second half of the year. So aside, aside from Kyle Korver, uh, Hardaway might be, might be, I stress, might be the second best shooter on the wing on this entire roster. So it would be really good to see him kind of shoot like it this year. Uh, and actually produce at the level that it, that it looks like when it comes off his hand. It's, it's always pretty. He looks, he looks like an NBA player, and people have been sucked in by that in the past. Um, the fact that he just looks good, and his name is Tim Hardaway. His dad is obviously a famous basketball player. Um, but it would be good to see him match up w- with the talent level uh, and w- from, a, from a production standpoint, especially knowing now that he's going to be pushed by these rookies. I mean, rookies, I've kind of been over and over again saying that rookies don't help playoff teams uh, the great majority of the time, but in the same breath, these are two rookies that played extensive college basketball. I mean, they're on the older side. They're not much younger than Hardaway Jr. And uh, you know, look and look, and they could be both def- you know upgrades on the defensive end sooner rather than later over Hardaway. So he's going to have people pushing him for the for the uh, first time in a while because I, I think there's a difference between Bembry and Prince and the likes of Lamar Patterson last season, where I think it came as a shock to all of us that Patterson was suddenly playing over Hardaway Jr. in the first half of the year. Agree, one hundred percent. Yeah, I don't think I'll ever get over that one, to be honest. But alas, uh, we, we wish Lamar the best of luck again in Sacramento because I, I still like his game. I was just shocked that he was uh, he was playing early on in the season in the rotation. But uh, before we uh, let you go, Chris, I don't want to take up too much of your time on this uh, fine Tuesday evening. I have to ask you for this. I've been going to ask everybody that comes on before the season starts. I need a reckless prediction from you as to the, uh, the Hawks' final record this season and where they uh, sort of stack up amongst the Eastern Conference uh, contenders right now. You don't have to give me the exact placement among the East, but you know, projected record-ish if, if things are the same as they are now when season opens. Okay, um, yeah, that's a good question. I've been kind of going through this in my mind. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've still got a lot of questions about this team. Uh, you know, I hope that uh, when I watch them uh, in preseason, uh, I'm going to start to feel a little better about it. Uh, I've warmed up a little bit, so uh, you know I know this this prediction may come to sur- as a surprise to some people, uh, but I've actually bumped this up a little bit. But I'm going to go 44 and 38, uh, probably somewhere around the fifth, sixth seed um, cu- as it currently stands. And I and I'm gonna tell you, you know that's a lot of faith in Mike Budenholzer uh, for me right now because uh, you know I, I think this team's going to be lights out defensively. Uh, but I want to see how they're going to score points, and um, you know I, I don't know I don't know if going away from the spacing uh, is going to help things. And uh, to me, they've they've collapsed uh, a lot of the defense now with, with the addition of Howard. Uh, so you know it, they need a big bounce back from Kyle Korver. Uh, they need to find shooting elsewhere, and and Dennis Schroeder's got to be good at the point. Uh, you know, but I think right now I'll say forty four wins and feel pretty good about it. Yeah, Schroeder is going to be the big wild card. I think Schroeder and Howard are the two wild cards. Uh, if Howard can stay healthy 
and be as productive as he was last year, perhaps even as good as he was two years ago, and just you know as explosive defensively. If he if he avoids uh, too many post touches and kind of buys into being the pick and roll finisher, pick and roll, uh, you know, more of a role player than anything else offensively, but a dominant defensive player that helps the Hawks in terms of upside. And Schroeder, obviously, being a very volatile player, if he's the same player he was last year, I think 44 wins is going to be high. I'm not sure if you agree with that, but I think 44 is going to be aggressive if Schroeder doesn't really improve. But I think it's also safe to say that he probably will improve, uh, given a longer leash now, another year under his belt. He's very talented. There's no no disputing the fact that Dennis Schroeder is one of the most talented uh, point guards in recent memory in this franchise's history. I think if you just lined up talent for talent, he's more talented than Jeff Teague. He's a better athlete. Uh, he's longer, you know, higher defensive upside. Um, he's not he's not quite the shooter that Teague has become. But Schroeder's, you know, he's going to work hard on that. I mean, he has been working hard on that. I think Wes Wilcox, and speaking to him a couple of times, uh, they're high on Schroeder's uh, jump shooting ability uh, in the future. Not, not necessarily going to be a Kyle Korver-like knockdown shooter, but Schroeder's upside's real there. So I think if all that stuff comes together, 44 is uh, pretty reasonable. I'm not going to give my prediction right now because I'm going to try to save it. But uh, 44 might be higher than I am. I th- and I'm kind, of, I'm kind of surprised to hear you say 44. So maybe, maybe all the Dwight Howard stands have gotten to you in the last couple of weeks. Uh, you you should have asked me a week ago. <laughs> See, that's, that's, that's what I was thinking. I, I think we've, uh, we've had some offline discussions talk, talking about this, the potential this team misses the playoffs. And I, I'm not going to uh, say that that's going to happen. I know you're not, you aren't going to say that either because 44 wins is a pretty safe bet to make the playoffs. But I do think there's a scenario where this team misses the playoffs. Do you agree with that? Is that is that something that's like a non-zero chance in your book? Oh, I I, I agree. There's a there's a scenario where it happens. Uh, you know, I think it. I think it, it's usually it's probably an injury bug though. Um, you know, I just think Bud's too good. Uh, but you know, I mean, I think if you'd asked me last week, I probably would have said forty-two forty. Um, you know, I don't think I've really been under that, but. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I could see a scenario where this just doesn't work at all. And, uh, you know, maybe perhaps they're looking for changes to make changes in the middle of the season, which is something that we've never actually seen them do since Bud got there. So, you know, uh, I'm, I'm lukewarm at best. I mean, uh, I just, I, I, I think it's, uh, there's just a lot, a lot of uncertainty still. I want to see them on the court. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I, I already can't wait for basketball to start, even though it's got, you know, we've got another three months before even the preseason games start, but we'll have plenty of time to talk some Hawks. Uh, you guys should be sure to follow Chris on Twitter at Chris underscore Willis. Is that right? That's correct. And uh, Chris wrote, as he mentioned earlier, a great a great breakdown of the Hawks depth chart on PeacetreeHoops.com. That, that would be a good uh, reference guide for you guys on trying to you know see how things are going to break down for the Hawks this season in terms of rotations and uh, kind of how guys stack up position, position by position. And uh, obviously stay tuned to Peace Tree Hoops for all your Atlanta Hawks needs. Uh, so you, you can subscribe to this podcast. Um, we're, we, are, we are now on iTunes. We are on Google Play, Stitcher, and our host site, Audio Boom. Please do that. And uh, give us a you know favorable ratings, subscribe, do all the things, tell your friends, talk to your family, do everything you can do to uh, get people to subscribe and listen to this podcast, and tell them that we uh, we're always going to be here. It's going to be daily. We're not going anywhere, and uh, it should be a lot of fun throughout the season. Chris, I appreciate you coming on, man. Oh, thanks for having me, Brad. It's a pleasure. Stay tuned, everybody, for another episode tomorrow. And uh, as always, we will uh, enjoy talking Hawks. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. 
Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.